Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adamazenauer. And we've got another packed show in store for you this week. We're going to be looking at the Whitecaps. We're going to be talking MLS and boycotts. We're going to be looking at a very exciting Canadian Premier League. But for the first couple of parts, we're going to focus on our bread and butter. Vancouver Whitecaps, back in action, played Montreal midweek. It was a game which we're not really going to delve into because it's really not worth talking about. It was pretty dire. It was a 2-0 defeat. Not a lot of positives to take from the game. Just quickly, just your general thoughts on, on the game and just what you thought. Yeah, I'll I'll explain it in the the terms that you just used, uh, bread and butter. I would say moldy bread and uh, spoiled butter, <laughs> or unsalted, because I hate unsalted butter. Yeah, oh yeah, has to there, get has to be salted. Michael, you remember the day when we used to look forward to playing the Impact like five to nine times a season, and every one of them had some kind of excitement in it. Yeah, um, th- th- this had excitement. This, this was not. Well, it, yeah, it, yeah, not the right kind of excitement. If you, if you, well, if you, you like had Vancouver. fans in the stadium. There was some excitement. Two hundred and fifty fans paying two hundred and fifty dollars to see a game of football that was not very exciting, and Montreal didn't look great. And then they ran out two 0 winners. Couple of big talking points from the Whitecaps' point of view. Second half looked like a different team. And in some ways it was, because there was a couple of halftime subs. But the, the formation in the first half wasn't working. The tactics in the first half wasn't working. Whatever was said at halftime, they came out looking different. Got a penalty. First five minutes, they pressed really hard. End a penalty. But up stepped Cava. Yes, they're going to get back into the game. Our $6 million man taking the spot kick. Missed his second penalty of the season. Wasn't... A horrible penalty, but wasn't a great penalty. And the guy just seems to have fallen into that category of whitecap strikers that come to Vancouver and then their striking ability just seems to leave them. You got to feel bad for Cavallini. Uh, I think the commentator said something like it was his fifth professional penalty in a row that he has not scored on going back to like yeah. nine, uh, uh, 2018 or something. Um 
and yeah, his two in Vancouver have not been confident kicks. They've not been quality kicks. This one was was really, really poor. I mean, if he kicked the ball at penalties the way he kicked his friend Osorio in the, the TFC game, I don't think we'd have we'd be talking about this just now. He looked devastated when he missed, and his confidence is certainly going to be knocked after that. Yeah, when we were talking about it, like when you're in a poor run like that, even whether it's a poor run overall or a poor run from the spot like he was, that's when you just got to smash it, right? Like, yeah. you think just smash it in the middle and be done with it. Like, it, yeah, it was it was just not good. Now he's going to have him second guessing though and just overthinking things as well. And if we get a penalty again in these games coming up at BC Place... Not 100% sure he's going to be the guy that takes them. Not 100% sure he should be the guy that takes them. Actually, I'm pretty sure he shouldn't be the guy that takes them. But he's going to want to because he's going to want to break that duck. Um, the first question to MDS after the the match was, it feels like you're never going to score a goal again. And he was like, we, we, we will. It's just it feels really difficult just now to get that coming. I mean, that goal could have turned things around because it could really uh, have given them a boost. But after that, the game just fizzled out. There was very little to talk about. And for me, the only highlight really to come out of it was the the play of Michael Baldissimo. The 20-year-old made his first MLS start, his first actual MLS minutes. Um, The the stats from the end of this, Steve, he, he had one key pass. 95% 95% passing accuracy from 41 passes, one shot, 48 touches, two tackles, one interception. Now, that is fantastic for a, a young lad making his debut. And it shows just what we've been missing in the midfield. And for me, I, I just would run Baldy now to the end of the season, just see what we can get from him and see what we can bring on. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is with him is that he's been he's been dealing with like a lot of injuries, like like some I think one was serious one and a couple of niggling ones, and he just wasn't able to get on the pitch and probably even on the training pitch to show MDS what he could do. Um, but in the academy when he was there, he was able to do this. He played a lot at uh, at the fullback position when he was down there, but sometimes in the midfield. Um, so he's kind of got both ideas. Like you know, he can. When he was even in the fullback position, he was able to intercept passes. He was able to move the ball forward up the wing. So he can, if he can transpose that into the midfield, that that's exactly what they need from a deep line position. Now I don't know if he's gonna. And it was amazing. Like I, I know you're talking about Cavallini showed very little confidence when he was taking a penalty. Uh, Baldissimo took that free kick and he showed a lot of confidence there. Yeah, and that, so that and that almost hit the thing. Imagine, imagine him scoring and Cavallini missing, and that would have been. Amazing uh, talking point there, but he he's got it all. He's 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 not a guy that lacks confidence at all. Um, you'd ex- in, in, especially being the youngest of three, you think he'd be like a little timid, but no, he's not. He, he's he, he he goes for it, and he and he's he's something. I agree with you hundred percent. Considering the options they have, they need to have him on the field, of starting or at least coming on as an early sub. Did you think? His uh, the quality of his play was seen better than it was because the the, the team's not playing well uh, and did not play well in this game, uh, really. Uh, or do you think his his level was that good? I think his level was good, but I mean it's very valid to say we've been crying out just for some kind of midfielder for seasons. I mean it's not 
anything new. Everyone knows that's one of the big problems with this team for years. But this year in particular, we've just had nothing in the middle. And to actually see a young guy come in, pass the ball forward, that, that there's a, a start. But like we, we know Baldy from watching him come through the residency. He's a tough tackler. I'm sure he'll pick up a few cards in MLS. But he's a guy that he's got the skills, he's got the attributes. That's why he earned that MLS deal. And, I mean, the way that this year's gone, there's nothing to lose now in giving him a run out. And it's just refreshing to actually have some guy that's making some impact, no pun intended, in, in the middle of the park. And the thing is with him is he's actually a different type of midfielder than what they've been they've had now. Uh, and, they, and what they currently occupies the midfield. It's a different type of player, so that's the positive. The thing is, uh, you talk about he's a tough tackler. I'd actually put him as he's an intelligent tackler. Um, he's a little bit different mold than what uh, a David Norman would be, where David Norman would go um, hoping that he would knock the guy into the hospital, whereas <laughs> Baltistimo actually wants to get the ball from the other guy. So I think I, he's a very good tackler. He will obviously get cards because he does go in there. Yeah. Um, but he gets the ball more often. And I mean, even Norman was great at winning the ball. No, no, he would get the ball, but he also get part of the ankle too. In the shape. Oh, okay. I mean, that was certainly the highlight for the the Whitecaps out of that game. And he's a guy that's played himself into the team. I feel going forward, that's not something you can say about a, a lot of the guys that were out there. I want to play a little bit of audio now from Derek Cornelius from after the match, because I I think the attitude that Derek showed is what we're needing. And it's good to hear him saying these things. And I'll just play it for you now, then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. For me, I'm sick of the, the same conversations over and over when we're, we're just getting the same result every single time. So it's frustrating if we, if we look back on it, maybe we'll find some positives. But at the end of the day, we have to all take a serious look at ourselves in the mirror and see what we can all be better at so that we can finally get something to show for it because this is, this is getting too much now. So, so instead of that, that broken record, as you said, what needs to change, do you think? What needs to be different? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly, man. We, we, we got a lot of work to do right now, you know. Everyone, there's no time to, to point fingers at anybody. You know, we all have to, as I said, take a serious look at ourselves in the mirror, be better. Starts from the training sessions and we move that into the game. But this is, this is not acceptable now. So Derek Cornelius, they are very honest assessment of where this team is just now. He said he's sick of having the same conversations, but with the same end results. He feels everyone needs to look in the mirror. He said it's unacceptable, and it was. And it's refreshing to hear a guy come out and say that, because this team needs a serious hard look at itself. And it's the, the players on the pitch as well, because there, there feels that there is just no passion there, no desire and we're going to hear a little bit later on the show when we're talking to CPL from Tommy Wielden. He said that about his cavalry guys from the last two games as well. That was just over two games. This is the Whitecaps for, for match after match after match. It just feels that there's nothing in this team and there's just no desire out there. And I think there needs to be some... The, the, the veterans... And some of the some of the questions and fingers can be pointed at the veterans, but they need to sit everyone down in the locker room and just have it out there as to what is wrong with this team. But the thing is, what needs to change? What needs to be different? My my only concern is that 
you know how you said these are refreshing comments? The problem is we've heard these year after year, it seems like. <laughs> like it's just a different person possibly saying it. Yeah. Um, but we need... <sighs> I feel like I'm uh, channeling Zach right now. We need some change up top. <laughs> that's exactly that's the that's the last step. There's nothing else to change. We change coaches. We change uh, if you want to. We change technical directors, even though we didn't have one before. We change players out. What is left out of the, of the things that changes? It's something at, up top, and it's something it's it's a mindset up top that needs to change um, because you can keep shuffling players in and out. You can keep shuffling coaches in and out. Maybe you get a certain group of fans that are supporters that are happy about it. Uh, but overall, it's just going to revert right back to where next year it'll be um, uh, Renko Veselinovic or whatever saying, uh, we need to look in the mirror and <laughs> it'll be somebody else saying the those same comments. So I, I like the comments are great. I, I do. And I feel like he is, um, you know, behind those comments, but it's just same old, same old. And it's probably new for him, but it's not new for people listening. No. I, I mean, it's, it's just always music in my ears when Steve says, I want to channel my inner Zach. But, um, but no, in all seriousness, like, Steve's right. Like, what, the, the approach of the, the owners and the executive, uh, everyone knows what it is. All the players know what it is. All the coaches know what it is. All the backroom staff know what it is. And they know it's not about winning football games. It's not about winning trophies. They know it's not about winning stuff. It's about being a business that can uh, ideally not lose money and maybe make money. And that's the, the, the bottom line is the bottom line. And I, and I, I, I you know, on some level, I don't disparage them that, but they're not, their approach has had a, like a decade and it inspired little to no one. Uh, and, and people want to be inspired by their football club and their, their football club's ambitions. Yeah. Um, and, and so the other thing I'd say about this is that you have to be worried about, like, the, we've heard this before, like Steve said, we've heard this from guys, I remember even like Jay Demerit in year one, maybe year two, year three, whatever it was, like Jay Demerit used to say, it's like, we're saying this every time, this is not good enough. Uh, we need to stop saying it, we need to fix it. Um, the problem is that it doesn't seem like the players – uh, are have what it takes to fix it, or not just? And I'm not talking about just their abilities. I'm talking about their actual desire. And I don't know if it's just a pandemic world. Uh, a part of me feels a little bit anxious for uh, MDS and and how his players are playing for him and what that means for him. But uh, it, it, it things are not good for the Vancouver Whitecaps right now, uh, on on or off the pitch. I don't think. And you have to worry about Embalm's uh, sell, the sale of Embalm too. Did that give a negative impact that the team was giving up, especially considering they said they're not bringing anybody new in? That that has a toll on a locker room if you do something. Totally. Like that. Yeah. It, 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 mentally, you got to think it's mentally wearing for those guys to be like, we're selling what's supposed to be one of our best midfield players and not replacing him, and we're already awful. Yeah. Or And also the fact that we just came back from the Orlando – played our asses off to get to where we got to, even though we shouldn't have been there. And then we come back, we're gaining all these other players, and then we sell one of our, one of our only few midfielders that is, has any kind of offensive ability, and you don't bring anybody in. Like, I think that's a lot. It's, it's a lot of mental thing, whether they want to put on MDS, Axel, or the uh, uh, top management, that's, you know, wherever they want to put it. But it definitely has a toll on them. 
Well, yeah, and then and then I think it's compounded when you when you see Imbom come on as a sub and score, right? Yeah. For his in his first game, he's playing well, a number ten a role. Strike. He's playing yeah. playing an advanced position there as well. He's playing a different role than he did here. I mean, but we'll talk about in the next part a little bit about they might be making some moves now. This that does not seem to to be the same message that initially was coming out, and we'll talk a little bit about what might lie in, in store for MDS as well. But talking of MDS, I want to play you some comments that he had after the game on Tuesday against Montreal as well. Just basically saying what, what he feels that the team needs to do now to, to be different at this homestand that's coming up. So let's hear now from MDS. You've got 11 days now before you're back on the pitch at BC Place. I think everyone that's seen these games knows where the the kind of things have lay in the the last few games where it's gone wrong. But how do you turn this around in eleven days? What what can you work on that that's going to make this team better with what you currently have? It's exactly that, Michael. I have to focus on we what currently we have and how we could become better as a team. I think one of the things that we worked a lot in the last two days was to improve our possession, to improve our team with the ball. Uh, it's the way that we're going to be able to move up the field and have more numbers uh, around the box. And that part was what was much better from the last two games uh, against uh, Toronto. But at the same time, we we can't really lose our, our defensive balance. You know, we could have done much better challenging with Kyoto in that first goal. Then Kava has a similar opportunity um, that we don't score. Baldi has, has a very good free kick that goes just wide. Um, and then there's this ball over the top where we have to drop. We have to drop when that defender is uh, facing the play and has no pressure. Our back has to drop and we didn't do it. And then it put uh, Lepeline uh, in, a, in, a, in a very good position. But, you know, when we came back for, from, uh, from halftime, uh, I think we could take a lot of positives from that side to build on uh, in the 11 days that we have uh, and to become better at home. And the other thing is making sure that we stick the group together because we've had about five days before coming here. And I think with the group all together, and I think it's a, very good wake-up call in the sense that this is how much we have to work if we want to become uh, a better team. And again, Michael, I my focus is really to improve the players we have in the club and improve the players that, that are available right now for us. So MDS there after the, the game against Montreal, basically saying that the team has to focus on what they currently have. And the things that they're needing to improve, they want to improve possession, they want to improve moving the ball, they want to improve having more numbers around the box. So some big, big things there. He also says that he has to improve the players that are here right now. But we'll play a little bit more audio in the next part about talking about some moves that, that, that could be coming up. But when you look at this the squad that we've got right now, can these guys be improved from what we've seen in these last three games? Because it's looked dire. We've tried different formations. We've tried different lineups. We've tried different tactics. And nothing seems to be working. 
So now we've got TFC coming to town on Saturday. It's the first of three games at BC Place. Can we realistically expect anything different in this 11 days break that they've had from what we've seen in these three matches that's just passed? It'll be a little bit different because they're well, they're at home. Obviously, they're in their own homes and everything. So I, I expect it a little different. Um, but the play on the pitch, uh, the, the quality and everything, that's not going to change overnight at this point. Um, they might get that advantage of being at home, whereas they're you know traveling, they're staying in hotels, that minor advantage. But uh, Toronto's coming in to win the games. That's, that's no doubt about that. They're, they're looking to probably want to sweep all six games going into this thing. So... Um, they're fully Vancouver. If the Whitecaps are expecting anything less from, less from them, that's not to be expected. So, um, they're themselves, they have to pick up their pace and they have to show that they got something. But I don't see it happening this time. Yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of like uh, initially, I thought, okay, nothing like nothing is going to happen. It's going to be three, three more, uh, three more matches with no points maybe a goal maybe or two. Um, but you've got to have some hope that playing at BC Place will will help them um, be be more in these matches and hopefully score and maybe even get uh, a draw or maybe a win. <laughs> but a draw, I think draw is the best they're going to get uh, if they get one at all. And happy to be proved wrong on that, obviously. But no, Michael, when you say how can how do they improve? I mean... I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what they they can improve on. In ter- and other than, other than what you know, DC I think is referring to in terms of the, the their actual focus uh, and maybe com- I don't know if it's commitment or what the word is, but it feels like they need to care more as a, as a group. Um, and so, I guess that that could improve. But in terms of like, yeah, they're the same group of players. I guess. I guess back to the, the Carl Robinson analogy of you know. Are they playing at or above their levels? So if you're asking, can they play above their level? It feels really hard for them to do that in the current climate. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to see them being able to change anything in the space of 11 days. You maybe hope that the travel is going to tie TFC and then Montreal as well. But with Montreal, they're here for two matches, so they're going to be a little bit more settled. I mean, one thing, I'm sorry if this is going to be a spoiler for both of you, but I don't think we're winning the Canadian Championship this year. <laughs> oh, don't don't ruin it for Steve. And the thing is, it was always going to be tough for them because you know, uh, we, starting the whole six games, you know, twelve game series or whatever the hell it is, or six six games they were going to play within Canada, they were starting the first three on the road, and that was never going to be easy. And so they basically, everybody's all the the other two teams have been spotted points right now. Uh, because they played their first games at home. So playing these first, now they've been dropped down, their mentality and everything. I don't know if they can recover. That's why I'm very pessimistic about their their chances in these three games. And they, I agree with Zach that there's definitely going to be no uh, Voyager's Cup in the uh, Whitecaps future this year. Yeah, it's sad. But anyway, that is it for this part. We're going to be back talking some more Whitecaps after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And we're kicking off this part with the final song from AFTN's Artists of the Month for August, Scottish band Mogwai, with a song from their eighth studio album released in 2014, Rave Tapes. That was the third track from the album called Remurdered. And as a good little taster for the album as a whole, if anyone is interested in kind of listening to more Mogwai after hearing them over the last couple of weeks on the show, I do recommend Rave Tapes as a good kind of jumping off point because you've got their instrumental tracks, but you've also got some of their tracks with vocals in it as well as they, they were kind of experimenting a little bit more. So I think it's a more accessible album for many people there. I hope you've enjoyed our selection from them over the past month. As I mentioned, it is a little bit difficult to kind of just get the proper little snippets of a song from one minute to kind of give a good taste of what it is, but they are one of my all-time favourite bands, so I just wanted to feature them at some point on the show. We have featured some of their songs before, just as introductions to songs on our Christmas show, and I've got a special treat for everyone. We've got one more Mogwai song coming. And that's going to round off the show tonight. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in part five. So back to the Whitecaps chat now. And we've got TFC coming up on Saturday. We're not going to preview it too much. But I mean, what do you put out there right now? Do Do you stick with the three at the back or the five at the back, however you want to look at it? Did we go back to a 4-4-2 that we kind of switched to at halftime in Montreal? What team do you want to see out there? I mean, is is there anything that you, you feel anyone that can be brought in? I mean, Freddie Montero could be available. He didn't make that trip out east, but is he going to be available for this one? What do you go with? I, I honestly don't know what kind of lineup they, they, they can go with because uh, the lineup is... Up in the like, uh, literally up in the air. They they could uh, maybe go with the uh, lineup that they the, the formation they played against Toronto in that second game in that second half because that seemed like the best the best that they played. Um, but then again, uh, that lineup was against a team that maybe was not going at full force to get that second goal. So everything's up in the air. I would say that they probably should play four at the back. To play, have some three at the back doesn't seem to be working for them at all. Maybe they just don't have the right players in those positions, but it definitely doesn't work for them. Yeah, I don't know if the the three at the back or five at the back is is, is working the best. Like you said, the switch seemed to help things. I'll, but the thing is, that was against Montreal and against Toronto. I don't know if you really want to go just four four two. I think that makes it too easy for Toronto um, to. Um, play them in the middle of the field. So yeah, well, I don't, yeah. So I, I think everyone knows that the white caps are, are needing more, and the only way that that's really going to come is by moving players in and moving players out. Now, before we have a quick look at that, I want to play a little bit of audio from MDS talking on Monday before the Montreal game, where, as Steve alluded to in the first part. Schuster in particular had said, well, we're not really looking for people in this transfer window, but we'll see what we can do if anything comes up. MDS is very more adamant that, no, this transfer window is something that they actually want to be a part of and that they are actively looking for players. So let's just hear what he had to say about that just now. 
the transfer market is a huge priority for us, huge one. You know, you're talking about a, a player like Inbom leaving, and now we have the opportunity to reset and getting probably a player that has more the characteristics that we want to link with Kava and to become a link between the midfielder and the front players. The problem with the transfer market right now is what's happening in MLS is not a, a that easy to, to convince players to tell them this is what's going to happen next. We don't even know what's going to happen after the Canadian series. Um, we're still waiting on the right opportunities and the right player for our transfer window for the position that we want, but we're very, very involved on the transfer market. And if the right guy is there and the right guy wants to be with us, even despite we're in this kind of unknown situation, we will do the move. But like you, you said, and you, you give the hint of what kind of leagues we're looking at right now, we're still looking at inside MLS. Are there moves that could be interested for, for us to help the team right now because we need also personnel and we need some moves in certain positions that we need to become better. And we're looking at, uh, I spent some time um, yesterday paying a lot of attention to a CPL player and, and watching some of his games. So that's an example of leagues. Uh, actually, there was a, an important player in the USL that I really wanted for us, but unfortunately he's going to Europe. So we're looking at, all the right opportunities for us as a club. So MDS there talking that he, he is looking to try and get some moves done if he can and the transfer window is open until October 29th, two days before Halloween. Hopefully there's nothing scary going to be, be coming out of this one, but some of the stuff that he said there. First of all, looking at MLS trades. Now, it's something I've talked to him about at the end of last season. It's something we talked about this season, talked to Axel about it. And the Whitecaps have never seemingly been able to get this done. Other teams managed to get trades done within MLS, but we've never really managed to get it done for whatever reason. But MDS weighing up the options as to whether that can happen. I don't know why they think they might be able to get something done now, especially with the, the future being unknown. Will they be playing games out of the US? Will they be playing games in Canada? Will they be playing any more games? And... We don't exactly have players in form that you think other teams are going to be clamouring for. D do you see them getting trades done? Is there anyone that jumps out at you as a guy that we could go and make a move for that's going to make a difference to this team that his current team are wanting to actually give up? Two things, Michael. You're forgetting about the Fabian Espindola trade. That was a fine piece of business. Um, <laughs> secondly, uh, what's Will Brun's status? Is he fit or is he injured? He is fit. Oh, well, then that's who's got to be on top of your want list, right? Yep, Bruin comes in, Montero goes away. Doesn't really address the midfield issue, though. And I, we still would, have one former flounder at striker. I, I would say that the best trade that they've ever done is um, the one where they traded that player to, hmm. I think it was Colorado, Senate, and, they, and they got an international spot till 2031 or something like that, yeah. whatever year. Senna and Nancy. yeah. I mean, there isn't, and when I spoke to MDS a couple of shows ago, I mean, he was basically like, so tell me, who who can we get? And it's like, yep, everyone that you think of that would be a big difference maker, Mark Anthony Kay, Canadian, 
played with MDS, likes MDS, spoke highly about MDS. There's no way that LAFC's given him up unless you're giving them a bucket load of, of money. And I think that's what the Whitecaps are going to have to do. If they want to get a trade with an MLS that's really going to make a difference, they have to be one of these teams that just gives up the Garber bucks, throws a couple of players in as well. They need to make a big splash if they want to get a difference maker. And they need to use the um, uh, the draw. I know I know it might not be a huge draw, but they need to use something like uh, the draft picks that they get because, again, they're going to have a high draft pick again this year. Um, they need to use that. They need to use, like you said, the, mon- the money. But the thing is that they, it's not going to be easy either because there's uh, some players that probably will refuse to come here. It's not yeah. easy to get players to come here at this time right now, especially considering where they are. Yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest. Is Vancouver, like we know Vancouver is a great city to live in, but is Vancouver as a football destination a place that guys within the league are going to look at and go, oh yeah, I want to go to that bottom of the table team? No, uh, yeah. We, we've talked a lot of times. They're, uh, they're standing the table. They're uh, the general approach of the, of the organization, which I think uh, everyone fully knows. Plus on top of that, you know, BC place, uh, not the ideal surface, all that kind of stuff. Um, however, doesn't the, doesn't the pandemic thing kind of work in their favor in terms of like Canada's more safer than the rest yeah. of the MLS cities? Well, I mean, I, I asked Axel that and he's like, oh, that's never come up. I'm like, really? You should maybe be pushing that. Uh, the thing is also they, that the players that they've traded before in the past probably are not spreading the reputation of Vancouver organization very well across yeah. the league, um, especially after the media day massacre from a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, that 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 day did not help the Whitecaps at all. Uh, whether they they wanted to um, uh, channel the story in a certain way, where it was a certain group of players issue, uh, the players are going to listen to players. Players are not going to listen to the word of management. So that 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 did not help them, and other things probably have not helped them at all. I mean, you're talking about coming to Vancouver, coming to Canada is great for people just now during the current pandemic. Maybe we should market it that, quick, come to Canada before America develops into the handmaid's tale. Come here before the election and things get crazy down there. Yeah, it's crazy just now. It's only going to get crazier, worse. Yeah. Crazier. But something else that MDS said there was that he was looking at a USL player that is now going to go to Europe instead and he's, he's got an eye on a CPL player. Now, these guys might be great players, but when fans hear that, and they know that they've got the money from Fonzie, they've got the money from Embalm, that they've got other money, and that they're needing some difference makers, there's going to be, and I think rightly so, a lot of fans out there that are going to be like, why are you looking at lower league players when all your rivals are bringing in top signings from overseas and whatever, why are we still looking at lower league talent? I agree with you, Michael, but isn't the only thing that they can that can help them is the fact that if a player comes from within North America, the quarantine will be less crazy? Yeah. Or like if they come from within Canada, right? Like if they bring in Kyle Becker from Forge. Yeah, because he, he's the guy that they've been kind of, I think, watching. That's the, the rumor that's been going around. We'd mentioned before or we'd heard before that MDS has been kind of following him. He's a guy that MDS knows well because he's played under him at San Francisco Deltas and won a title. He's got MLS experience. 
in TFC, Montreal, Dallas. He's going to complete the Canadian club trifecta if he comes here. He's a midfielder. That's a bit different because I think he is still MLS quality and he's a Canadian international. Plus, they weaken a potential uh, Canadian championship uh, opponent <laughs> if they make it to the final, if they take Becker. That's vital. True. That's very you always gotta thinking. You guys got to look forward to the future. You just can't you know, live in the present here. Can't see Forge letting any other players go before the Island Games is over, mind you. Well, October 29th is the deadline, so they could get away. <laughs> That's true. But, I mean, our season will be well over by that point if it isn't already. <laughs> because, I mean, right now, the Caps are sitting bottom of the West. They're just three-point Like we, we can look at glass half-full, glass half-empty stuff going on here. They're sitting bottom of the West. Bad point. But they're only three points of a playoff spot. Good point. But they have played at least one, sometimes two games more than those around them. Bad point. Is the season already over? On paper, it is easy to bridge a three-point gap when you've still got a ton of games left to play. Sadly, though, the game isn't played on paper, and when we get on the pitch, we are not looking so good just now. It could be easy to turn around. I don't think it's going to be. It, it, give me some reasons to have some hope for the, for the coming weeks and months. I think we already talked about one of the key ones, and that is Michael Baldissimo and the potential to see him uh, play competitive competitive MLS matches uh, and, and continue to develop and grow as a player. I think that's probably – that's got to be one of the most exciting things. In the same sense, I think people are still – or at least some people are probably still excited in um, seeing that from Thomas Hassel – or, sorry, Hassel. And um, so those those – I think there's those kinds of things. But in terms of like results and ambition and bridging that three-point gap, which you're right, is not insurmountable in it by any means, um, I don't know there's a lot to be excited about. I think it's just a matter of getting things going for next year at this point. I still – I know a lot of people are clamoring that MDS should get fired, but I don't see that – I don't see the Whitecaps organization doing it. That's the problem. Like I can see like if they're – worried about season tickets or something like that, but I don't even see that. What's the difference? I still don't see that being a big issue. So, and I don't see them paying out MDS as well, uh, His the rest of his contract. Schuster did say, I think it was in a radio interview with TSN, Mark's not going anywhere this season, but they will take the off-season to kind of review his position with the club. Now, that wasn't a huge vote of confidence in itself, that's never a good thing to hear. Fans are clamouring in certain sections and it seems to be growing to, to get rid of MDS. We talked in last year's show at the end of the season that we didn't think that his future was in doubt. We had faith in him. He was the right man for the job. But I did say if we hadn't improved by the summer, then you can start having that conversation. Now, obviously, this is a very different year. There's very different situations of how things have played out. The things that happened in Orlando with the missing players completely out with his control. He has brought in the bulk of this squad, though. Are they playing for him? I got an interesting message this week, and I had a, a discussion with somebody from kind of within the Whitecaps inner circle who said that what he's been hearing is that MDS has lost a, a couple of the senior players. 
which is concerning. I, I won't sort of name the, the players whose names were given to me, but it's players who I do feel are out looking for themselves anyway and maybe not in the best interest of the club. Now, that there might be no truth to that story. I do trust the person that, that told me it, though. And it was interesting. MDS said that everyone... I don't think this was his exact quote, but basically everyone needs to be on the same page. Kind of heard this before. And it does feel that there's maybe not everyone in the locker room that is on the same page right now. I have a couple of guesses who the players are, but I'm not going to guess because they're going to assume that you're, you already told us or something like that. So I'm not going to guess who they are, but um, it, 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 like usually when players are spreading these things, it, it is for their own benefit because they're looking out for, and it could be players that are on their way out so that they can, uh, either stay or it makes them look good on the way out. They're saying, "Oh, the coach was bad. That's why I was bad. That's what." So give me another chance at another team. So it's it's just a matter of seeing where everything lies, and if it is like I, I like I told you before, I mentioned before, I don't see them do that. But also because, like you said, the pandemic, it's a completely different year. Like yeah, you you were saying give them till the summer. By the summer, they would have had you know, so much practice time, so much playing time together. They never had that. They jumped right into the, the bubble. And then from the bubble, they, everything got everything burst, obviously, yeah. when the month they got back to Canada. And you've got to remember, they, they'd beaten LA. And you don't know then what would have happened. Could they have gone on a bit of a run? Now, the same person that told me this stuff about some possible player unrest... I was going back and forth with him and I said, look, I, I still think MDS is the, the guy to be in charge. I think he's a good coach. You don't become a bad coach overnight. And he was like, how can you defend what he's done? He's brought all these players in. And he felt that he wasn't the right man for the job. Now, Pete Shad recently on a radio interview as well said that he was maybe a, a good coach, but he's at the Whitecaps at a bad time. You look, the Whitecaps, they've spent $6 million on Lucas Cavallini. It's a small sample size, but he hasn't been performing yet. But we did see in pre-season, he's, he's a talent. We know what he can do. My worry is the Whitecaps then say, well, look, we've gone and spent all this money, and it hasn't worked. So why should we go and spend more money on big-name talent when it's maybe a bust? Let's just spread it out over the team like we did before. So, I mean, that's a concern for me. MDS is needing some game changers and I don't think they come without spending money and I do wonder if there's going to be a little bit of butt in our heads. I really like MDS uh, as, a, as a person. We've talked about this before. Um, but and, and I remember a year before he came to Vancouver we were talking to him about saying, you know, you'd never come here because you know how things work here and you know all the barriers and yet he still chose to come and so in the past, we've talked about how MDS it, within his squads has not always um, – some players have struggled to fully adopt uh, what he's wanted from them, right? And uh, – or, the, or they don't like his approach, his man management approach or whatever, his, his kind of hard line or maybe – I don't know if it's old school or however you want to describe it. Um, and I think what you're maybe hearing, Michael, is – an example of that times are tough things aren't going well and so some people are not uh, buying into how he's wanting them to to play to approach games to to whatever because yeah and it shows on the pitch it's yeah i mean it's it's very evident out there 
Yeah. And so I, 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 yeah, I feel bad for him if he's if he is let go at the end of the season. One, I feel bad because it's the, the pandemic. You know, it's a, after a pandemic season when things are crazy, anyways. But if it's because, but it's because of you know a few, a few players uh, have quit on him. I, I would feel also feel really really bad. Yeah, I mean it's all hypothetical. I mean a lot's on the scouting. I feel as well because MDS knows how he wants the team to play. These players don't seem able to play that way so then is it down to the recruitment and then where does the blame lie in that and how do you move forward with that a lot more to talk about i'm sure the games coming up will give us a lot more to talk about the first glimpse of that is going to be this saturday with tfc that is pretty much it for our whitecaps chat for the show we're going to look at mls and cpl for for the rest of the show but before we wrap this part up we we do want to to bring you some sad news uh, unfortunately a former Whitecaps player, 30-year-old Alex Seminit, sadly passed away recently. It's a guy, we watched him play through the residency. He, he made his first-team debut for the USL team before the Caps moved to, to MLS. Had a spell at Edmonton and a few other teams as well. Just want to pass on our condolences from all of us here at AFTN to Alex's family and Terrible news, couldn't believe it when I heard it today. It's just such a sad loss, and just rest in peace, Alex. Yeah, Alex was like an incredibly talented footballer, incredibly talented attacking footballer. Uh, he, he, yeah, I, he was so, he was so good. He was one of those players in the Reds who was so good. Uh, scored so many goals, and um, I remember uh, a priest, I don't know if you were there, Michael, but preseason away on the island at uh, the UVic Stadium. He played up front with, I forget, or maybe it was Dever, Dever Orgel or something. I forget who it was, but, uh, and they just like, I think they were playing like, yeah, they were playing UVic or they were playing Highlanders or whoever, but they just like, just tore them to shreds. I think he scored like a, sort of like a falling down bicycle kick goal in that game, I think. I think he had like two or three goals. And he he, he was so talented. Um I think his size, like he, because of his size, they used to. I think a few people started, to, you know, making comparisons to someone like Leo Messi because he had that really small, tiny frame. Um, but yeah, he was. Uh, there was so much hope, and then when he went to Edmonton, okay, maybe he'll make the breakthrough there, and then that, that didn't happen. And um, uh, yeah, I just feel, yeah, I feel, yeah, gutted for his family. His twin brother Serge, who got to know a little bit when he came out to watch his brother play and stuff. And um, yeah. And he, he played with a whole bunch of guys we know and who are playing, still playing uh, a lot of them playing in the CPL uh, and, and other parts of the world uh, who played with him in the residency program. Uh, I was looking at a picture today where, you know, it was like him, you know, Fisk was in there. Alderson was in there. Lavier Corbinong, um, McKendry was in there. Daniel Stanise, like all these, all these kids that we you know that we we've grown up or we they've grown up with us watching them play and stuff uh he played with a bunch of them and so yeah just really really tragic news and um yeah just thinking about his his uh his family in the midst of all this yeah and he was a guy i think uh he moved to canada when he was eight years old so he wasn't even um i, I think it was uh, the ukraine or something or somewhere in russia that he was born in so, um and and basically i think it was he started off with the toronto lynx uh, I believe, and then moved out here. So, yeah, you yeah, played a lot of places, and I agree with you that 
showed a lot of promise, a lot of talent when he was with residency. It's almost like the golden age of residency back then. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Very sad to hear. And as I say, condolences from all of us at AFTN to, to Alex's family. So sorry to end this part on such bad news and sad news, but we'll be back talking a little bit MLS and the drama that has unfolded in the league this week after this. Hi, I'm Derek Cornelius and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the first of tonight's Three of a Kind songs. From 2006, English band Kasabian, taken from their album Empire, that was The Doberman. A song that the band used to close their sets in the early days, and a cracking tune as well. And for anyone that just needs a reminder or a refresher, our three of a kind is what we do at the starts of parts three, four and five. I'll be playing you a song and each song to kick off this part is linked in some way. Your job over the next couple of parts is to work out A, what the link is and B, if you're clever enough to work out the link after the first two songs, try and work out what we might be kicking off part five with. So we're going to turn our attentions to Major League Soccer itself in this part and it was certainly a, a very eventful week. Matches were scheduled to take place on Wednesday. They did not happen. Word had come through that Milwaukee Bucks of the NBA had pulled out of their game that was taking place that night in, in protest of the police shooting of Jacob Blake. That snowballed to all the... NBA games getting called off, and then MLS games start to fall. Orlando against Nashville had already started, but it finished as well. But during that game, it was announced then that other games weren't going ahead, and then no games went ahead that night. Everyone was kind of wondering what was going to be happening with it. Were games going to be called off for for longer than that? We'll delve into all that shortly. First of all. What I want to do is play you some audio from a Canadian in America. Mark Anthony Kay mentioned him in the last part as a guy that we'd love to have here in Vancouver. He's with LAFC just now. And he was very outspoken, not only uh, about this MLS boycott and the strike that basically took place with the players on Wednesday, but also about Black Lives Matter's issues and his thoughts on Real Salt Lake owner Delroy Hansen. Now, the audio I'm going to bring you is from a conference call that LAFC had just towards the end of the week. 
Now, for some reason, LAFC cut all the questions out of the call, but I want to bring you the, the answers of Mark Anthony Kay in full. So it's around about eight, nine minutes, and he is covering the, the protest on Wednesday night and Black Lives Matter movement and the, the Hansen issue and a few other things as well. So let's hear now from LAFC's Mark Anthony Kay. You know, we've obviously deliberated as a group with the Black Post for Change to see what we could could ask for in a in a time timely matter that we can get a proper answer to. Um, you know, we had a call yesterday, and Don came on, and we explained to him what we were looking for from the ownership group within the MLS. Um, based on our request, they told us that. Um, will not have an answer by Saturday, which was unfortunate. Um, so we are still going to look into having a meeting with them so that they can really hear our voices and understand what we're asking for and the importance of it. Um, I haven't, you know, really gone into details of what the ask is because I wanted to give them the opportunity to, you know, get out in front of it. That's the respect we're trying to show them. Um, we're not trying to blind sign anyone here, but, uh, yeah, we've definitely narrowed it down to uh, a very general commitment we want from the owners going forward. And for, you know, obviously, yeah, soccer is a big part of my life, has been for since I can remember. And, you know, um, right now there's a lot of things in the world that are much more important than the sport. Um, you know, I still have a job to do here every day, so I need to come in and concentrate, train hard, you know, encourage my teammates to do the same things. But um, yeah, it definitely makes it a little bit more difficult um, with everything going on in the world. It's just not fair. It's not fair and it's not okay that so many people of power and influence just aren't stepping up to really help change the cause that uh, continues to, you know, be a problem in this country. So um, yeah, to answer your question, it's been tough, but as professionals, we need to figure out how to maintain our our focus uh going forward you know obviously wednesday was a big moment no one uh planned for it it just happened and that shows uh that there's real passion around what's going on and the change we want to see um you know one thing i felt amongst the players was a sense of, of pride you know i was very proud of all the players who took the risk to to not play and to make a stance on something that is much more important than the game at hand and the sport. So, um, you know, we have to give respect to the NBA players for leading the charge. Um, you know, I felt very strong about it um, when I saw it. And even before, you know, talking with my players, I had made a decision on my own that I was not going to play the game, regardless of whether other teams boycotted, um, you know, and immense respect and support came from my players and my teammates. And once I expressed my feelings towards the issue, they all backed me up. So uh, Wednesday was was a, a very big moment to, to know that it's not just black people in this fight. It's uh, all these other races and ethnicities that understand the importance of, of trying to end racism because it affects everyone. Um, so it was, uh, it was a good moment, but again, it was just uh, a time where we were able to create some noise and now we have to focus on what's next. Yeah, I think the most important thing is being a person that is respected um, and supported. And, you know, respect comes from being a good person to your teammates, because I think once you have that connection, 
you know, they'll always lend their ear to a matter or topic you want to talk about. Um, I'm not in the training ground, sitting people down and, you know, trying to have an educational session with them. But, you know, they know that if they can come up with ideas or anything that is important, that I'm willing to talk to them about it. I know everyone sees what's going on in the world. Um, I don't need to be you know, shoving it down their ears or their throats about what's going on. So everyone is aware. And uh, whenever someone is, you know, not confident or truly understanding what's going on, then I can be that voice to, you know, to give them some help to understand it. So, um, yeah, it's just it's an everyday conversation. It doesn't change like anything else. It becomes normalized uh, in the sense of how you communicate with your teammates. Yeah, it's uh, it's unacceptable, you know, um, for all the progress we're trying to create as a world to have someone that has so much power within a sport to think like that just shows that we still have a lot more work to do. Um, it's unfortunate and it doesn't make the MLS look good knowing that, you know, one of their owners is coming out and saying this and now trying to retract his statement. Um, People have been saying that all along they've known that this is his stance on certain things. So a lot of people were not surprised when it came out. I just think that, you know, if the MLS wants to show that they're part of this change, they need to take swift actions with this guy. It's unacceptable. And it just shows that, you know, the old America is still running away with what's going on. And they're, they're, that money is just a way of getting people out of situations. So, um, you know, I really feel for the RSL players right now because... I thanked all of them for, for their courage. Um, you know, just before we had taken the photo at, at half, at half field up when we decided not to play the game. And I just knew that I wanted to get across to them how important it felt to me or it meant to me because a lot of those guys are, are not black and they're making a, a, a tough decision, but the right decision to stand for what's right. And, um, to have an owner of their, club say something like that i can't imagine what they're going through right now i heard that they weren't even allowed to go to training yesterday so it's just things like this can't happen in the world you know and as us being part of the sports world we have to understand the influence we have on people and we have to make sure that the influence is is, is a positive one so when someone comes out like this it needs to have swift actions everyone else has to deal with consequences so so does this guy yeah what does that say to me it's it says that you know, in order for people to truly call this country a free country, everyone needs to have the same rights. Everyone needs to have the same freedom. And I've been saying it from a long time since I've come to this country. I'm very grateful for the opportunities I have here to work, you know, to create a lifestyle, to create a career, you know, um, and support my family. But, you know, saying that this is the land of the free and I come from a country like Canada where we don't boast about it being the land of the free. People are free in Canada, too. Things happen in Canada, too. But the, the fact that you always have to be reminded that this is the home of the brave, land of the free, it's just it's like people have to convince themselves that things aren't going wrong within the country. And, you know, for him to say that and for it to be a lot a, a lot of time after that for things to still be the same just shows that the progress we have made is so minuscule to compared to everything that is continuing to be wrong within this country. So um, for me, it just shows that work still needs to be done because not everyone is free. 
And we need people to start caring and changing their perspectives because we're all human beings. I think it's a kind of, it's a joke what's going on in this country. And I know a lot of things are happening in other countries too, but for the US to always claim that they're the greatest country in the world and to have this within your, within your walls, within your borders happening, it just, it, it, there's no, uh, like, it's not unified. So um, yeah, uh, that was a powerful moment that he, that he took and said, and that quote has lived on for a long time. And I hope it, it, it lives on, but I hope it starts to have less of a, an impact because things are actually improving and changing. So Mark Anthony Kay there, just talking about a lot of issues around the protests on Wednesday night, the Black Lives Matter movement, the Black Players Coalition. Basically, the, the league are going to be meeting with the Black Players Coalition uh, to discuss the way forward and the change that the players are wanting to see happen within the league. Now, it's such a huge issue. We obviously can't just do it justice in a podcast like this. That's why I wanted to play what Mark said there in full because he just spoke perfectly about it and just addressed all these things. When you heard that the boycott was happening on Wednesday, what was your thoughts around that when, when, when you knew that the games were going to be off and the players were taking a stand? Yeah, I, was, uh, I, I wasn't surprised at all considering uh, that the, uh, the NBA had started that process as well. I w- once the NBA... Was talking about it. I was uh, I was thinking that other leagues will follow as well because uh, the NBA seems to be the leader in that. Uh, so that's where I see it going. So I wasn't surprised about it at all. I was surprised that it happened so quickly. I thought it might be the next day, uh, but they uh, the MLS seemed to like really pick it up right away. What, what game was it that started? Nashville and uh, Orlando and Nashville. Yeah, so uh, once the story got out and everything like that, I thought I felt like people were galvanized and and decided to get together and, and do it as one sports community instead of it being about the, what leagues were going to do it. Yeah, I, I yeah I too wasn't surprised, especially because it, yeah other sports leagues were doing it, and so it made, it made sense. And um, the thing that was kind of awkward, uh, I forget who I don't know, was Kai Kamara or, or who it was, but. Um, just kind of calling MLS out and being like, uh, yeah, you didn't stop these games. Like, we, the players, stopped these games from happening. Um, was kind of one of the most interesting yeah. parts of it for me was, you know, the, whether it was MLS or I don't know if the, I don't know if what the other sports leagues did, but MLS was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we kind of put a halt to our games because of what's going on. And, and yeah. the, players, the players calling them out on that and saying, like, no, you didn't do that. We did that. Yeah. I know the NBA. the The NBA actually said we support our players in calling off these like right. So the N- NBA was like made it clear that the players were the ones that called off the game. So they gave them full credit for that. Yeah, and the the games re- restarted on Friday with TFC against Montreal. And the interesting twist in that one was Montreal didn't want to play, but TFC did. So they had to go ahead because they didn't have the agreement of both parties. Josie Altador, though, sat out for personal reasons and it wasn't clarified as exactly what it was. Mark Anthony Kay talking there that if the game hadn't been called off on Wednesday, he had chosen personally not to play. And he said he was proud that his teammates all stood up and backed him and said, yep, we're with you in this. So Josie sat out of that game on Friday and it was just, when that came out post-game, that TFC wanted it to go ahead and Montreal didn't, it made it very awkward. 
You also had the issues of Michael Bradley stood for the anthem. Everyone else took a knee. Greg Vanny also stood for the anthem. He said it was because he was supporting his Canadian coach. We've had anthem discussions on the show before, so we won't get into all that just now. But I've been consistent in tweeting this out this week, especially after the abuse that one of the Dallas players got for taking a knee in in the Dallas game against Nashville. The leak has put the players in this position by saying that if there's any fans in attendance, the anthem has to get played. Now, if they had just said, right now, still no anthems, then there would be none of this. Because I totally believe players, uh, everyone, is in the right to stand for an anthem, kneel for an anthem, do whatever they want to do during an anthem. But unfortunately, the way that things are, and it's so each side is so polarised just now, If you stand, you're going to get abuse from some sections. If you take a knee, you're going to get abuse from some sections in some areas of of the country and in in the US as well. So the league has put the players in this position where they're going to be getting abuse no matter what they do from some sections that don't agree with it. And that's just not right. Yeah, I've I've been, I've been some like since I think 2012 or 2011, I can't remember what year it was. I've never been in the stadium area for the anthem and it's not a protest i just don't believe that anthems should be played at games i've never believed that because there are like even before when you had uh american teams in canada and they somebody boos the american national anthem and then and in canada is like you're booing a nation's over a team game that like that that's that doesn't make sense at all and that's why i don't think there should be anthems played if you want to play an anthem play it before the players even get on the pitch. Say, this is for the fans, play the anthem, and then do the player player coming out. Absolutely. That's what should be done all the time. And it's, it, it's not even a protest. It's just, if you want to do an anthem for the crowd, why do the players need to be there? They could just wait and, and, and come on afterwards. So I, I, I'm somebody, I'm in agreement with you for a lot of years that I don't think an anthem should be played at, at stadiums. Yeah, I've said before in our discussions on this that I used to really love it. I used to enjoy the Canadian anthem before game, before games. Uh, I no longer feel that way. I don't. I don't see the place for them. Uh, I don't. En- I don't enjoy it the way I used to. I love it for a Canada game, yeah. but um, I don't yeah, know with Canada not for, game. not for club football. Yeah, I mean we, we've said our piece on it. It's just I, I just feel that the the leagues just put the players in a terrible situation in this case. I mean the, the whole thing about. Everything that MLS did in Orlando around the Black Lives Movement with the, the T-shirts and the, the protests and the, everything that was going on before the games, players talking about it, the support the league was given, that was fantastic. But now that they've left the bubble, it kind of feels like it was almost a token gesture, that they were just doing it to, to kind of just go with the times and just be seen to do something. Because in all of this, Unless there's change, it's just talk. Unless people are educating themselves, it's just talk. And this is what the players are now going to be meeting with the league to discuss. What change they want to see. And like we can't go, really go into what change it is that they want to see because we, we don't know. We'll hopefully get some players on to, to kind of talk about that, maybe even next week or, or down the line. But there was another interesting situation that came out this week because after the RSL game got called off, RSL's owner, Delroy Hansen, had a lot of things to say. 
Basically, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but only a little bit. This is pretty much what he had to say. He said it felt like he was being disrespected by the players, that the players were more interested in national issues than their local community because they had fans coming and fans would be inconvenienced by not being able to attend this game. And he said that the the players doing this to him, because he felt so slighted personally, was like someone sticking a knife into him and he was trying to pull the knife out. And then the the word was he'd locked the players out and they couldn't get into the stadium. That, I, th- I think it was the training facility. They were was it the training about. facility? Yeah. Right. And then an article appeared in The Athletic where someone that had worked for the club before described him as a racist and it's not been the first time that he's made racist comments and stuff. Then he came out all guns blazing, basically saying, well, I'll just, I'll sell up, I'll leave. And this is a guy that owns Real Salt Lake in MLS, Real Monarchs in USL and Utah Royals in NWSL. But then after all these allegations came out about stuff that he said in the past... His wife came out and said, oh, no, he does all this stuff and invests in Africa and it's all these things, as it always comes out in cases like this. But then the league announced they were going to have an investigation. And then today, Sunday, statement came out from MLS Commissioner Don Garber saying that Delroy Hansen has decided that he will begin a process to sell Utah Soccer Holdings, which is the entity that owns all three of those clubs. MLS will work with Mr. Hansen on supporting the sale efforts for the company and will work closely with the club's executive staff to support the operations of the team during the transition. Garber went on to say, I want to acknowledge Del Hoy Hansen's significant efforts to build the sport of soccer in the state of Utah and for his commitment to Major League Soccer. So not really saying we're disappointed and yeah, what he said. They didn't, they didn't speak out against him at all. They basically just kind of was kind of swept out under the rug. Yeah. The initial the fact statement that what he said, when they said they were going to do the investigation did say that they don't condone these comments and yeah. that it's, it's against everything. But this statement here just was like, yeah, he's, he's done well, he's moving on. Yeah, so it's a few shades of awkward. Um, he's also not the original owner of RSL, right? He only bought in like 2013 or something, right? think so but he's not he didn't bring them in, he didn't bring them into no, MLS no yeah I, I mean, I mean it's, not a, good, it's, it's not a good I, time to sell a football club during a pandemic but no, no. he's probably going to make a profit out of it I'm <laughs> assuming that it'll be that they have to stay in Utah and that'll be that's written in stone deal. in the contract I would yeah. hope so yeah that, to me that's the uh, in terms of him selling the club that's the biggest concern is will will the <laughs> Will, will it stay where it is now? And I say that out of respect for the fans that are there. And the thing is, is he's not even the official owner because if you think of it, he's a franchise owner. Like it's it like the 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 team, the ownership of the club could be taken away from him. It's not even forcing him to sell the club. It's basically saying, yeah, you're not here anymore. You're done. Uh, sell the club. We'll help you get a profit out of it if we can. I mean, it's just so disappointing to hear it in, in these times. That an owner coming out and saying that and just basically disrespecting his players and players were saying, well, I don't want to play for RSL anymore and just leave the club. So I was having a look through the roster to see who we could possibly snap up, <laughs> obviously wanting to jump in early. But in all seriousness, who knows what's going to happen? The the league, Mark Anthony Kay had said he was disappointed that the league couldn't, have this meeting arranged before the weekend's matches. So it's going to be taking place this coming week. 
We'll see what comes out of it. Hopefully we'll maybe be able to get someone on the show next week to, to talk about a few of these things. But that is it for this part. That's it for all the MLS and Whitecaps chat. In the next couple of parts, we're going to be turning our attentions to the CPL and what has been a fantastic time at the Island Games. And we'll be back with that after this. Hey, it's Marco Bustos. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second of tonight's three of a kind selections. From 2014, South African band De Antwoord. That was Pitbull Terrier, taken from their album Donker Mag. Have you managed to work out what the link this week is yet? We kicked off part three with Kasabian and the Doberman. Kicked off part four with the Antwort and Pitbull Terrier. Is it an easy link? Is it an obvious link? Well, find out at the start of part five. And if you think you know the link, what do you think we might kick off part five with? Find that out soon. So let's turn our attention now to some Canadian Premier League chat. And what a week it has been on Prince Edward Island. It's been drama there's been some controversy. It's tightened everything up and it's all finished with Forge and Cavalry still leading the way. Both lost matches this week though. No team has officially clinched their place in the second phase with just one week of games left to play. Some only ha- Cavalry and Forge only have one game left to play. The other teams both have two or all have two. And it's an intense battle for the top four. A battle that sees just three points separating third spot to seventh spot. No team has been officially eliminated, but FC Edmonton is pretty much done. It would take a miraculous set of results and some massive scoring from them. And considering scoring has been a big issue for them, I think they're pretty much gone. But more on them in the next part. We'll look at some teams in this part and some teams in the next part and some of the, the, the stories from the league because the the good news was we all got to watch the games free this weekend on CBC on Saturday and on YouTube because of some technical issues on Sunday. I think it was fantastic and hopefully it's got some more fans out there watching the, the league and, and just seeing the action. Yeah, I saw, um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know, my numbers could be off. I, I don't know, I'm probably going to be off. Um, it's, it, I thought I saw 1,200 people watching on YouTube. 
No, it, 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 it was 760 at one point when I, I was watching earlier. So, I mean, yeah, hopefully yeah. once folk find out because yeah. I was all set to go out for a walk with, with a dog and then the message came through at 836 that the games were free on YouTube and I was like, ah, crap. So we had a quick walk and then I kind of caught up in delay. But basically, it's been an eventful weekend. Forge finished the weekend, top of the table, 2-0 win today over Atletico Ottawa. They've got 11 points from six games. They lost a five-goal thriller midweek to York 9. Forge are a team that I've, I've been struggling to like, and it goes from, from last season where they got some favours. And they might be getting some favours again because when this tournament started, the rule for phase one that was that all teams had to have 250 minutes for players under the age of 21. Seven of the eight teams have met that. Forge have not, and it looks like they're not going to because they only had, I think, three under-21 players on their roster. Two of them have become injured during the tournament, so it looks like it's going to be near impossible for them to hit this minute. And their punishment is just a fine, which I do not think is right. I think it should be a points deduction because other teams have been playing young players And it could be detrimental to them in some cases that they've maybe lost a game because they've had young players on the pitch because there has been so many late goals. Why would Forge get away with just getting fined when that is the stipulation? Uh, Yeah, a couple of things. One, I I thought, so maybe uh, your information is better than mine, but I thought I heard that they could still get the, the minutes in this last game. And then I thought I heard could if one of the guys manages to recover from injury. Okay. And then I thought... I also heard that it was more – I thought I heard on the One Soccer uh, broadcast that it was actually for the, the whole tournament, not yes. just for the that opening. was what was initially said, and Oliver Platt investigated it, and no, it's only for okay. Phase 1. Okay. And Dwayne Rollins tweeted tonight that word out of the bubble is a lot of the other teams are not happy about this, and they're wanting a points deduction. Not all teams – but a lot of them think this is not fair and they're, they're getting a, a unfair competitive advantage. Well, they and absolutely are. And it's it's something that Forge has gotten in the past. We've talked about it before, mm. whether it's like their slots in the CPL, uh, um, not the CPL, sorry. The Champions League, The Canadian yeah. Championship. The, uh, so they, they've, they've kind of gotten that before. Uh, obviously, the game, you're talking about the game against Valor. Apparently, they were not happy about the uh, the penalty that was called at the end of the game there. I don't know if you saw that. It was yeah. it was a clear penalty. Uh, the guy had his had to fully extend it, uh, but uh, they were upset about that. So clearly, they're so used to getting their way that even the smallest things upset them. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd like to say as well, like Bobby Smirniotis, I think is a great head coach, and what he's done in the past for the Canadian game, what he's done at Forge has been fantastic. I, I like him. I like chatting to him, but as a club, I, I'm these little things just all add up and I, I just, I find them hard to like. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I, I know some of their supporters who I like and I really like David Edgar. Yeah. But, well, but aside, yeah. From that, aside yeah. from that, yeah, there's not much to like. Uh, yeah, if you, that's the one thing that does feel weird is Bobby, Bobby S is known for like developing young players and yeah. handpicking some of those young players to be a part of this club. So, in some ways, it's a little surprising that they... Well, yeah, that's what annoys me because yeah. they could have had more young players on this roster and they chose not to. And then, yeah, injuries hit. 
but they chose not to when they could have had more young guys. And the other teams have met this stipulation. So, I mean, this could roll on and on. The problem is this should have been set in stone before the tournament started as to what would happen if a team didn't meet it. And if it wasn't, then I guess it is kind of unfair to then suddenly say, well, you're going to have a points deduction now. But I, I just think it, it's what should happen. Forge have one game left to play against Valor on Saturday morning. Their 11 points should be enough to get them through. If they got a deduction, say, of three points or whatever, then it's all out to play for. Cavalry, sitting second just now, they've lost back-to-back games for the first time ever in league play. Now, they did lose back-to-back to Forge in the championship game, but in actual league matches throughout the spring and fall season last year and the, the game so far, they've never lost back-to-back matches, which is incredible. They lost midweek, bit of a stunner really, a 2-0 loss to Ottawa on Thursday. All hail Captain Ben 10, who scored in that one. And then they lost today to Pacific. And in both games, they did deserve to lose. We'll delve into them in a sec. Before we do that, I just want to play a little bit of audio from Tommy Pilden Jr. after the match today against Pacific FC. Just basically chatting about what went wrong and what needs to change to get this team back to winning ways. That's the first time, the, aside from the championship game, that Cavalry's lost back-to-back matches. What what do you feel just isn't clicking with the team right now? Never been in a situation, Mike. I guess we're all still learning. Um, usually any team, as you've known, e- even in the past, uh, we've been able to find a way. Like it's, this is a new scenario for us all. You know, Playing on a 48-hour turnaround after playing Ottawa on Thursday and again now we play Sunday we didn't have time to prep we had an hour to prep because games were happening on Saturday so I know we don't want to make excuses of it we just weren't strong enough uh, physically tactically technically Um, I think what fortunately now we have a bit of a reprieve we have a full week which will seem like a lifetime to prepare for York and then it's down to us you know our fate's still in our hands and it just comes down to you know, which guys are going to roll up their sleeves with us and, and get back at it. The table as well just now, I mean, I don't think anyone probably thought it was going to be as tight as, as this. I mean, no team's qualified for Phase 2 yet. What have you made of the, the last week and all the, the teams coming closer together? Um, entertaining. Lots of mistakes, lots of PKs. We talked about this early in, in, in before I think I gave an interview. I said, what it'll come down to is mistakes. Um, it will come down to uh, set plays or penalties um, and a bit of magic. And we've lacked both of those in the last couple of games. And, uh, you know, if you look at the number of penalties and set play goals that are happening, it's, it's happening. You know, all teams have been off for 10 months, so they're going to be a bit ring rusty and, and having to get going again emotionally. They, you know, everybody starts to feel it. Um, so I just think that's, you know, it, it makes for an entertaining product for the uh, outsiders looking in, that's for sure. So Tommy Bilden Jr. there just chatting about a few things and they sit second on 10 points. They should still make it into the top four, but depending on how other results go this week, their last game is against York 9 this coming Saturday. And if you look at the table and depending on how things play out, realistically, only one of those two teams might advance if one of them wins that game, which in itself would be a shocker, but... I mean, what have you made of Cavalry? They don't seem to be firing on all cylinders. And I don't know if it's just a little bit of rustiness getting in, a bit of tiredness getting in. 
I fancy Tommy O to turn it around because I think he's got the talent there, but it's definitely, they're not running away with it like it looked like they were maybe going to do after the first few games. Yeah, and, it, and the thing is, is with them is uh, you talk about, like, I think the biggest thing is they can't seem to score right now. Uh, they're missing chances in an open play. Like, in mm-hmm. the last two games, they scored one goal, but that was from a penalty that was probably outside the box when it was, if you look at it uh, closely, you replay. So that's no goals from open play, which is rare for them. Yeah. Um, and they missed some they, sitters today. Mavia in particular had a couple of good chances that he just blasted wide and over. And they haven't played uh, Haber with Brown at all mm-hmm. up top. And yeah. I, I'm wondering if they, they're going to do that. Because we didn't think that that's something that doesn't fit with their style of play, that they have two guys like that up top. And he wants more in the midfield than the pressing. Uh, so it, it, it's, it'd be interesting to see. Maybe he's saving that for uh, the second phase. He just wants to get through the first phase. And the second phase, he's going to go guns a-blazing. But he's not the type of guy that would do that where he saved something for uh, – he, want, he wants to win every game, it seems like. Yeah, and some people have been saying this already about them, but one of the things that feels different between uh, Cavalry this year and Cavalry last year is last year it felt like you knew what their – kind of their starting 11 was going to be. You knew kind of – I think Tommy knew his best team really well last year, uh, and they were able to ride that team uh, for the most part with the way the league was set up. Um, However, this year, with the changes they've made and this being a tournament uh, in a short period of time, it, it doesn't feel like even Tommy maybe knows who his best 11 is. And, and Steve, you, you, your example is one of the biggest that, that, I, that, that I, you know, I've watched. Is he, Brown is their number one guy, but they brought in Marcus Haber, and they, they haven't really, really played together yet. And, it, and even when they've needed goals in the, especially these last couple of games. And so it, it, it feels like Tommy's still trying to figure that out, or he had this pre-plan of rotating in a certain way and, and hoping that everyone got hot or whatever, everyone was in form. And it, and that it was hasn't really, plan, yeah. Yeah. And it hasn't really worked out so far. However, the upside is you'd rather have a couple, you know, hiccups like this now than in the second group stage or at the final hurdle. Um, and so uh, I, I still think that they can sort things out, and I still think that they need to be, you know, number one or number two in terms of the odds-on favorites. Yeah, I, I think pretty much so as well. And even on 10 points just now, it probably will be enough. But that last game against York on Saturday, that should be an absolute cracker, and it's going to be on CBC as well, so everyone can watch that one. I mean, the game today, Pacific FC... Certainly the better team in it. And they've had a good week. I think they were the, the big winners this week. They beat Valor on Tuesday. They beat Cavalry today. They're sitting third in the table on eight points. Their games that they've got to come are very winnable. Although we'll hear from Pam Dukan a bit and he says there's no winnable games in CPL. I think it's just been nice to the Eddies there. But the, York and Valor are breathing down their necks. They're just a point behind and Halifax is a further point back from that. What have you made of their play so far? Because from the games that I've seen, Pamaduka has got them playing a really exciting brand of football. It's very different to the team that we saw last year. And they're playing with a smile on their face. They seem to be enjoying it. Big celebrations when they score. They all seem to have bought into what Pa has been selling them 
and you're seeing the results now on the pitch. I think with I think with them they have a focus now. I think last year they lacked a focus, and I think that came from the coaching uh, that they. Uh, that that focus wasn't there. And I think the, the young players, young players need a focus. They, they just can't be asked to play, you know, willy-nilly style of game. They need to know what they need to do and, and, and put it forward. I think he's really helped their back line uh, considerably, considering that they, they, they would let in that bad goal last year often. And I think the biggest factor from the start of what they, this tournament to the now is the goalkeeping position. Yeah. If Callum Irving and... No offense to Nolanworth. If Caleb Irving, oh, a little bit, because you really give away some of those goals. Uh, but if Caleb Irving was starting from the beginning, I think they would be even in a better position now. Yes. He, even a couple, maybe even drawn a game or two or, or even won a game. So I think that is a huge factor right now. And hopefully they've resolved that Caleb Irving is their starting keeper going forward. Yeah, I agree. We were, I think we were talking about it in a previous episode. We were all surprised that, that Irving hadn't, you know, Callum hadn't won the starting role in the in the build up to everything. But um, uh, I mean, today today's game, especially you you got to see um, Marco Bustos kind of boss a game, right? Uh, he scores a, a great goal, uh, a, a goal. I'm pretty sure he scored many similar goals like that against Marco Carducci in training. Uh, over the years, um, but um, just a really nice finish, a really composed finish, and then he makes the the he makes the switch pass, the switch ball, the crossfield ball to to put in his uh, good friend uh, Victor Blasco, uh, who makes a, another great cross uh, for Diaz for the for the winning goal, and and when I think this team uh, uh, above and beyond the pause got them playing well, got them playing better at the back. This team, I think, as Bustos goes, the team will go. And today you saw him go, things clicking really well for him. The back line is still a bit of a worry. But yeah, having Cali in there, I think it's fantastic. They've given up four penalties so far in their five games, which is like... That's concerning. Yeah. Hashtag... There's a hell of a lot of penalties. Yeah, but today was not a penalty. If there's VAR, that's not No, a but arguably they could have got... No, that, that wasn't given. That late, the late one wasn't a penalty. I saw the replay on that one. Okay. He just had his hand on his hip, and the guy actually dove off his feet, and that's why he got a yellow for simulation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so I don't feel that was a penalty either. What was your hashtag going to be, Zach? Hashtag not a penalty. Oh. But I mean, talking to Bustos there, we'll chat a little bit more about him in a sec, but I want to play some audio now from after today's game. We're going to hear first a couple of questions I asked Pam Duca, and then a couple from Marco Bustos. The rest of the, the first phase, you've got two games left. They're very winnable games. It's really all in your own hands just now. But this is a young team. It's easy to get carried away after a big win like this for, for Cavalry. What is your message going to be to them this week to kind of keep them grounded and to keep them focused on these two matches? First of all, there's no something as uh, winnable games in the game of football. We have to play the game to win it. So for us, we we know favorites. The favorites of this tournament is Calvary and uh, Forge. So all we gotta do is we, like I say again, we have a process that we started and we believe in it, and it's just keep working hard every single day. And for us, today is Sunday. We enjoy a little bit of uh, the win, 
But when it comes to twelve o'clock at night, it's Monday. We're back to work, and it's just being uh, level-headed and understand that we haven't done nothing. There's nothing we haven't done. We're not the champions like Forge were last year. We didn't play no final yet, so we haven't done anything to think that we're at par with Forge and York. Uh, sorry, Forge and Calvary. So what we gotta do is come in every single day and work hard, and the boys do do it every single day. They're giving us everything they got. Us as staff, we're very happy with the players. We have their mindset in the right place. You know, they're working hard. So for us is enjoy today, and tomorrow we focus on Atletico. Just want to follow up just to ask you a little bit about the team spirit. I mean, when they're playing out there, it looks like they're enjoying themselves. You see Callum Irvin with a big smile on his face. Victor Blasco was smiling towards the end. What's the team spirit like? Because they really seem to be enjoying their football right now. Oh, but you say it, but that's what the game is about. This game is about enjoyment. This game is about you get to do what you love, which is playing football. So why wouldn't you enjoy it? I know people will count the wins and the losses, but for them to be able to play and enjoy, they got to be free. And that's what we told them and that's what we keep telling them because we know the quality that they possess. So now it's just up to them to enjoy the game and we will help them and guide them along the way. But the most important thing is enjoy the game, be free and play. And they're capable of that and we see it and we know that once they step on the pitch, every player that we have here, is capable of playing the game of football the way that we vision and the way that we see with our philosophy so so we're very happy with that and you take a young guy like sean young who who today was a great test for him you know to see how how does he adapt playing two games in a row as a professional which is his two first ever starts as a professional and i was very happy with his uh you know with his uh with his game and again alessandro hojapor who comes in does great great work you know so we have a young group, but they can play football and therefore we ask them to enjoy the game. The the team now, the way that they're playing, yeah, it's a lot really free-flowing. Still some defensive issues, maybe we're giving up the penalties, but how have you seen this team grow in the first five matches from that first game on the pitch to now? Yeah, I think it's we've grown a lot, actually. You know, we're spending literally 24 hours together in this bubble. I think, uh, you know, everyone hanging out with each other and getting to really know know each other on a personal level was, I think, important for us. And then you got to bring it onto the field. And obviously the first two, three, four games is not going to be, it's not going to be easy, but you just got to get through it together. And, and at the end of the day, hopefully get the results. And I think now with five games under our belt, I think today was was a good stepping stone for, for us. And and now we just got to look forward to the next game and obviously enjoy this win. But now the focus goes for the next game and try and get three points there. Now, there's two games left. And on paper, it's two very winnable games, the, the way that this tournament has played out so far. But obviously, the, this tournament's thrown up a lot of surprises along the way. It's a young squad at Pacific how do you keep them focused going into these two matches, knowing at, at what's at stake and not to get too carried away after the win today? Yeah, you know, you just keep going. I think we got a good group, a good, uh, everyone has a good head on their shoulders. I think now we just focus on the next game the way we focused on the games that we've played already. You know, we only look at our next opponent. Um, we come in and, and again, you know, have a good response. And bring the fire right from the start like today 
So Pa and Boosty there just talking about what's been a fantastic week for Pacific FC and a big, big win today over Cavalry FC. Now, the commentary was really bigging up Marco, saying that he could be in Canadian men's national team con- contention, which right now seemed a little bit off a, a stretch. I know they like to talk up having these CPL guys in the national team mix, but... I think he needs to show a lot more yet and a lot more consistency. I think I think they were I think they were a little bit jumped the gun a little bit. I think they're right that he should be like given consideration to be in the mix, but not be put in the mix. I think that's a big factor there. I think he has somebody uh, that, he's somebody that has the capability of being a national pool player, like somebody that they could bring in to not maybe the huge games or maybe a secondary type game where he could be on the bench and coming off the bench or something like that um, because he can drive play. The thing is with the, with the Canadian national team right now, it's, it's hard for, it's hard for to find spots for attacking players. It seems like they have a lot of attacking players. If he played right back, I think he'd be on the team right now if, if he was capable of playing that. So um, <laughs> I think, I think that's the issue right now that he, he just, it's a matter of finding a position for him and getting through all that other depth. But yeah, he's not he's not in the mix, but he should be considered for the mix in the future. Don't listen to quote unquote one soccer experts, Michael. Oh, yeah, don't even get me started on that. One last thing I'll say about Pacific's attack is when you look at the fact that they've got Tern Campbell on the bench and he had such a good season last season and I mean it's a great asset to bring off the bench, but you would have thought he would maybe have taken a step forward. I don't know. Diaz is obviously the guy that, that Paz wanting to lead the line and maybe feels that he can't have both of them on the pitch at the same time. But that, that's been the only disappointment, really, that Tern's not had more minutes, I think, so far. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Again, it feels a little similar to what we talked about with Cavalry in terms of uh, Brown and Haber. Um, like, yeah, today I think Campbell replaced Diaz, right, today, I think, in today's game. And so... Yeah, he was subbed uh, on for him. Yeah, so not not getting to play together, which I guess is the coach wanting to keep their their shape and their formation uh, stable and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I feel bad that uh, Taron hasn't had the run like he did last year because I think having the run of games the way he did was a was a, uh, a let's say a key element I think to um, him being able to show what he can do. And the thing is, last year the only reason he got the run of play was because Haber was injured. So, yeah. so I still think that he is capable of doing it. I think that taking a step, a little bit of a step back, can is I don't think is that much of a detriment. I think he can, like, uh, you know, get those opportunities in the near future and then get going again on them. I, I I know he played a lot up top, but I think he's still capable of playing on the wing too. Like if they wanted to play like a power, like you know, powerful winger to run down the, the sidelines. I think he still can fill those spots because I think that's where his original position was. Yeah. Now, Pacific finished their phase one with Ottawa on Wednesday evening and then the Eddies on Sunday afternoon. And the interesting thing about that one is that's the last game of the tournament. So they're going to know exactly what they need to do. They may already have clinched the spot. They might be able to rest players. They might have to go for all three points. A win might, a draw might be enough. Interesting dynamic there, and in some ways it could even cause more problems for them than, than anything, but we'll see how all that plays out. We'll have a look at the other CPL sides, though, after this. 
Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. the final part of tonight's AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, as always, is the final selection of tonight's Three of a Kind. Former AFTN Artist of the Month there, the Super Furry Animals, from their sixth studio album Phantom Power, which was released in 2003, that was Golden Retriever. It was the first single to be released from their album and it reached number 13 in the UK singles charts. But more importantly, did you manage to work out what this week's link was? It's a fairly easy one, I know. We kicked off part three with Kasabian and the Doberman. We kicked off part four with De Antwort and Pitbull Terrier. And kicking off part five, super furry animals there, golden retriever. If you said that the link this week was dogs... Well, you're not correct. I want it more specific than that. The link this week is songs named after breeds of dog. That's what we're going with. If you got that spot on, give yourself a pat on the back. If you didn't, well, you should be disappointed with yourselves. But try again next week. So let's just round off tonight's show with some more CPL chat. And we're going to look at the teams we haven't looked at so far. Now, York 9, we touched on them in the last part. They're sitting fourth in the standings. They're there on the tiebreaker of goals scored. They're tied on seven points with Valor from their five games, but they're still unbeaten with four draws from, from those five matches. Before we have a look at them, let's just play a little bit of audio from Jimmy Brennan after their match on Saturday. Four draws from the, the first five games. I know, obviously, if, if there was an easy answer, you'd have addressed it by now. But what do you think the key is to turning those draws into the three points that you're needing going forward? Well, I think, look, yeah, we, we considered, uh, conceded against Pacific, you know, just in the end off a of, of, uh, corner. Today, we've, we've conceded at the end with a free kick. Um, we've got to be, be, be better with our man marking. we got to not, not give away... Uh, cheap fouls, um, you know. Come, come the end of the come the end of the match. It's all mental. You got to be mentally strong and just and finish games off. Um, you know, in the last few minutes, it's just get the ball forward. Don't mess around with it. Um, and that that's been the that's been the problem with us. I mean, even you know, after half time, as soon as we come on, we're, we're conceding a goal uh, off a set play in in other matches, and then we're 
we're getting into the 90th minute and we're, we're, we're conceding again. So it's, you know, fatigue setting in, but we've got to be mentally stronger in those situations and finish games off, um, you know, because we're, we're, we're dropping points. Yeah. We, we haven't been beaten, but still it's, it's points that we're, we're giving away that we need to get uh, to, to put on the board for ourselves. And I think heading into this tournament, no one really knew what to expect, but with just three points separating second to seventh right now, did you expect it that it was going to be as close as this going right down to the wire in the, the last few matches? Yeah, you know what we, we did? We didn't think anybody was really going to be pulling away because of the situation. Um, a lot of teams got new players in. We didn't have any time for, for pre-season. Um, you know, you you're four or five games in and you're still trying to adjust and, and figure out lineups. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it is what it is, but you can see all teams are kind of in the same boat and that's why the table's so tight. It's, uh, it's not like we, if you had your preseason, you're playing five, six, seven preseason matches before you're going into a season. Um, so with us, it's, it's, it's the same and that's why it's so tight. And you can see teams are conceding late in, late in the games. You can see teams are, are, uh, committing fouls in the box and giving up penalties um, just because, you know, fatigue setting in. That's a, it's a hell of a lot of games that we played in the last, in over the two week period. So, you know, it's, it's difficult for everybody that's, that's here in the bubble, but you can see the, the parity throughout the league. And um, I think if you look at the fouls committed and penalties that are given and set plays that are, that are given, you know, the referees are blowing the whistle an awful lot. I think because a lot of the times the, the players are just that little step behind, aren't they? Um, and they're getting tired. So York Nines, Jimmy Brennan there. I mean, what's your thoughts on York so far? For me, they've played some nice stuff. It's just they've lacked that thing that's getting them over the line and turning those draws into wins, giving up some late goals in the process. Yeah. I, I watched, uh, it was this weekend, there was a, their draw against Valor this weekend. I can't remember who. They scored a nice free kick goal. Um, they're, yeah, they're okay. Uh, I, I miss Yorkie. I really wish Yorkie was, was around to, to brighten up their matches. Um, no. Uh, I, I mean, when I watch them, it's, again, when I watch CPL, it's just like walking down memory lane. So it's fun to watch Kyle Border play football. Um, but I mean, uh, I, I know he's not maybe uh, as dynamic a player uh, as he used to be, but um, – yeah, that's what I enjoy about watching York. But I, I do think they have a, um, I do think they have a good shout to get one of the, or get the fourth spot or get get one of the spots. And I think they are the kind of team that if they do get in, they could cause problems and they could they could upset. The thing is with them is I think they play they play a fairly uh, their their probably easiest game. They play the Eddies on one game, and then I think Calvary is the other game. So. Um, I think that's their last game. So it'll be interesting to see, like, where they are and in, in, in accordance to Calvary. The thing is, York 9 is the uh, – they drew all those games and they ended up beating the best team, Forge, uh, or, or the top of the table um, because of that penalty. So it's interesting to see. You're right that in that game they got that third goal to put it over the edge. Otherwise, that would have been a draw as well. So That was a fantastic I, game. That was one of the best yeah. games of the tournament. So it's just a matter of whether they can they can you know put these games over over top and, and, and be able to, like I'm sure they'll be able to beat Edmonton but uh, the Cavalry game that's going to be the interesting one that could be the best game of next weekend. Well, yeah, I mean I went over the Eddies ties both teams on ten points, which might be enough. They might both know that going into it, or a point for both teams might be enough. We could have a whole West Germany Austria situation play out, which I can't 
Can't imagine with Jimmy Brennan against Tommy Bielden Jr. that we'd ever see anything like that, mind you. The Cavs will be well rested because they finally get a rest. They get the whole week off. But for me, that could be the match of the weekend. It could even be the match of the tournament because if both teams have to get a win to advance, that should be fantastic stuff. And the thing is, and the thing is with Cavalry, considering they've been on a two-game losing streak, they're not going to go into. They're not going to worry about being rested. Uh, for the 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 next phase, they're going to want to win that going into that next phase. Yeah. Now Valor and Fifth are the interesting team, and it's like they're kind of the dark horses. Yeah, I mean, a bit of a surprise. Brett Levi's seems to be injured again as well. He went out of a, a match a couple of games ago. That's a a tough tough one for him. They've got seven points from five games. Now their last two games, they've played Halifax on Wednesday and then Forge on Saturday. So the Halifax game is huge, and it's huge for both teams. Because I think if there's a loser in that one, I think that could be their tournament over. Halifax sits sixth right now, with six points from five. Now they finish against Valor on Wednesday, and then Ottawa on Sunday, which could be winnable. Ottawa, we don't know what's happening with them. But I mean, that Valor-Halifax game, massive. Yeah, Yeah, I really wish Ottawa... Ottawa would have won today and then been on eight points and things would have been even crazier going into this week. But yeah, I think Ottawa, I don't know if Ottawa can actually make it into the top four, but I think they're going to, if they don't, they're going to determine who, who does make it into the top four. Yeah. I mean, I'll play a little bit of audio from Stephen Hart. We've had him on the last couple of shows as well. I re- really enjoy speaking to Stephen. Spoke to him way back in the day when he was in charge of all the Canada programs, but this is just a couple of questions I put to him after the, the game on Saturday, just talking about Halifax's growth, chances in the tournament, and just what, what he's made of everything so far. Stephen, this is the, the third match that you've come back from going to go behind to take a point, and we talked about it a little bit after the first game with Pacific, but what is it about this team and the fighting spirit that just means they just never give up right to the very end? I mean, this might sound like a cliche, but they are uh, a real team. Um, when when players are not starting, they are they are in full support of those who are starting, and those that are on the bench are, uh, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, are willing to come on and and make some some sort of impact. But they have a belief in each other. They have a belief in in what we are trying to do, and um, you know, at at halftime today. Uh, I said to them, if we keep our discipline, we could very well win this game. Um, but, you know, it, it, sometimes you say things like that when, you, when you're just trying to, to, you know, to keep the players focused on, on the game itself. But I, I just had a feeling that uh, we might be able to get something out of the game. And if you look at the table, there's just three points now between second and seventh. Big game coming up in your next one against Valor. And then you round things off with Ottawa. What's the confidence like in the locker room just now? Coming back, getting the points that you've done so far. Is there a genuine belief in the team that you can make the top four? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the confidence in the team has been there from game one. Um, I've looked at all the games again. I've had a number of people have uh, contacted me. The, the team has been playing well. Um, you know, we've we've continued to create chances in every game, and uh, maybe maybe sometimes not as decisive as as we would like. 
Um, but that's that's part of of not playing a lot of games coming into this. But now we've got these four games uh, under our belt. Um, we just have to continue continue believing in in each other and and stick to stick to our game plan and uh, play one game at a time. I know it, as I said, it sounds cliche-ish, but that that's how it is. So Stephen Hart there and. Yeah, I mean, as you say, Ottawa could be the they, they could be the kingmakers, or they could be kings themselves. I don't think we really know who they are. And the, the sad thing for these four teams that that do bow out at the end of phase one, that's their season. Seven matches, all this preparation, all this scouting, bringing players in, training, and your seven matches, and that's it to to next year. And that could be Ottawa, which is even more kind of heartbreaking for them because it's their, their first season. There's guys, the two Bens that, that we know so well that you really want to do well. They've been so up and down. I mean, they've played some great football. They've defended horribly. They've got some wins. They've lost. They've drawn. They've thrown games away. I, I don't know. I mean, they finished with Pacific on Wednesday, Halifax on Sunday. Two wins. I mean, they could be in, but they're sitting second bottom. I, I, I just don't know what to make of them. I don't know what to make of Mister as a head coach. He seems. He's, I, saw, I saw a couple of scenes of him on the sideline. He seemed very uninterested. Yeah, like, uh, like sitting there. His translator seems more interested. Yeah, he's a translator. Got booked today, so I'm not sure if he's he's translating for Mister, and that's why he got booked, or he said something himself. Yeah, the translator going, "Hey, referee, uh, Mister says that you're uh, an asshole." Mista is questioning your um, parents' heritage. Um, <laughs> or, well, sorry, your heritage. I'm giving you this yellow card. You can give this to Mista. Translate that to Mista. <laughs> no, I was going to say, he, he, yeah, I forget what other game I was watching with him where he looked more engaged. But you're right, today he did not look super engaged what was going on. Especially yeah. the, when, when, just before the game when he was just sitting there by himself on that chair. That just showed me that maybe he's not interested in doing this anymore. Last team we're going to have a look at, FC Edmonton, the team that is pretty much eliminated. And I, I have to say, last week's show, Zach said everyone's in with a chance, except the Eddies maybe. And I was like, no, no, they're still in with a chance. Zach was right. I, I think it was just wishful thinking because I like Jeff. But yeah, they've <laughs> they've not looked good. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's going to be really sad. There's four teams that are that are not going to make I mean, their their season is going to end after seven games, and for three of them, I think everyone's going to feel really bad. And then there's and there's Edmonton, um, but I do I do agree with you. I, I've heard some uh, today this weekend. I've heard I've heard some talk about you know J- Jeff Paulus in terms of um, what his role has been um, with especially with J Ball being gone, and it's kind of sounds like he's been doing um, he's been doing everything. Well, yeah, a lot of ball juggling over there, and and not like not just so not just the football side, but the business side as well. And so, yeah. well, he's um, officially general manager and head coach, or yeah, interim interim general manager in, yeah, interim, is, the, yeah, yeah. is is the tag. But um, so he's been doing a, a lot a lot of work. So in one sense, he's been doing a lot, but in another sense, when 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 it comes time for accountability, uh, it's hard not to look anywhere else. Now, I think Edmonton is also a place where you, when you talk to the, the, the local people, you'll, you'll hear some, not the same probably, but similar things in terms of, you know, Vancouver and MLS. You, you'll, you'll, 
you'll hear things about their ownership. Like uh, you'll hear like words of appreciation for the fact that there is a football club in Edmonton and that they brought a football club to Edmonton, but the ambition and well, in Edmonton's case, perhaps the, uh, the limited uh, amount of funds that, that are provided for the actual operation of the football club are concerning uh, for local supporters there. And uh, I mean, we've heard this lots in, in the 10 year history or whatever of FC Edmonton, but I think uh, they're feeling that even uh, they're feeling that even more right now, I think. Well, Jeff Paulus after the game on Saturday basically said he feels it's time that the club has a new voice. And he said he feels the players are there that can do well and uh, it maybe needs a, a different voice leading them, a new coach. So when you hear him saying that, it's hard to to see him continuing, and especially when you look at the results as well. It's, it is tough for him, and, I mean, he's been with the club for so long, he's not going to be going away. He'll either still be general manager, he might maybe get back involved with the academy again, which I know he really, really enjoyed. But I, I do think a fresh... I mean, look at Pamaduka, what he's done with Pacific, bringing a fresh voice there... They do have the players. I mean, you've brought in the likes of Kevin Alleman. There's a couple of good residency guys that they brought in in, in Carter and Carceres, and you've got a good goalkeeper, but they've just not been able to muster any attack. And just they've just not got shots. I think they've scored nine goals from nine shots in the whole tournament. I mean, clinical finishing, but you need to be generating more than that. And you need to be good on the back end too. You've got to make sure you're not giving up goals. Like they are. Absolutely. Now, last thing, Tommy Wielden said uh, this tournament, it's it's like a war of attrition, and it, it really is. So who do you think the four teams are going to be that's going to move forward? Also, who, who do you want to, to move forward? For me, if I was picking the four I would really want, I don't include Forge in that, and it looks like Forge are going to go through. So, I mean, the four I'd love to go through would be Pacific, Cavalry, Halifax and Valor. Just for various reasons, some personal. It'd be nice for Ottawa to go through as well, just for, for the two bends. But I think that would be the four I would pick. Realistically, who I think is going to go through is Cavalry Forge. I think Pacific will make it. And then I I think it will be York 9. I just hope it's Halifax. I have uh, my... The, the four I wanted there are probably not going to happen, so... Yeah, the similar reasons to yours, similar teams to yours, but the four teams I think, I think I think uh, Forge and Calvary are given. I think Pacific does have a very good shot considering the opposition they're playing in the last two games, and if they play like they played today, they should be in as well. And I think the fourth team, my guess uh, will be it'll be uh, based on who they're playing. I think it'll be Halifax. Yeah, I, I, in terms of who's going to make it, I think the top three right now are going to go through. So Forge, uh, Cavalry Pacific. And then I think it's going to, I think it's either going to be York or Valor. Uh, I think are going to, you're going to take it, take the four spot in terms of who I want, the four teams that I like the most uh, in the CPL right now, I would say uh, I would go with um, Pacific and Cavalry for sure. And then after that, probably, um, Probably Ottawa for the Benz, and then I would probably choose Valor for their 
you know, assuming their roster was healthy. But yeah, those are probably the four I'd want. The four I would want is well, just the two Pacific, uh, Edmonton, uh, the Valor, and Ottawa, just because Pacific has the best chance to win the whole thing. Then, <laughs> and you want and you want Edmonton just because of your roots? No, Edmonton because. My roots. I have no roots in Edmonton. Uh, <laughs> I want Edmonton in there because they're beatable, and Pacific can beat them. Oh, okay, but not sorry, not roots. But you have like family connections, right? No, I have no family in Edmonton. I visit there quite often, but I yeah, don't I thought you family. built something there. Or... That's where you go. And, you used to go and farm for fun. I farm for fun. Yes. Okay. Hashtag farming is fun. <laughs> I drove. A, I, dro- I drove a tractor. Yeah, but he can read and write. Steve can drive a tractor. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know Rob Gale gets a bit of a hard time from, from some people in Canadian soccer punditry. I, I've always liked him. I've always enjoyed talking to him. And I kind of, I, I go more towards the, the clubs whose coaches I like and who I like chatting to. So I, I love chatting to Pa. I love chatting to Tommy. And yeah, Rob Gale, Stephen Hart, I've really enjoyed like chatting to him. What has been a bit disappointing is the lack of media coverage. And I've been on conference calls where you could write down beforehand who's going to be on it, post-game calls. So today, the Pacific one, there was me, there was Adam from the Young Gaffers, and there was Marty and Charlie from the CPL website. That was it for a post-game call for a big game. You need to be given media free access to one soccer. You need to be encouraging media to watch these games and, and publicise it. And the clubs are doing a, as best a job as they can, but it needs to come from, from the league office as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and the thing is they can put games on YouTube and make it uh, private or something and just give the link to media if they wanted to, and if yeah. they don't want to give up way free memberships or something. So there are ways around it where you can make it private, like you talk the MLS media room or something like that. Like they have that set up, you can make a private room for uh, media to watch it and make it available for them. Yeah. So there are ways to do that. Um, I, uh, the biggest thing for me uh, for the final, I want to see Pacific win only for the reason I want to see Pa uh, hover around uh, on the field after the win. Be fantastic. And he won't even have to pay for his own medals this time. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, let's wrap things up. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. Uh, for me, it's at ZacharyAM. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. If you're interested in Scottish football, you can follow me as well on AFTN website and check out our East Fife and Scottish football podcast, Glory Days of Gold. You can read our stuff on Away From The Numbers, AFTN.ca and AFTN.co.uk. Give us a follow on Instagram at AFTN Soccer and follow and subscribe our YouTube channel. Please subscribe, turn on notifications. We hope to do some more live streams soon, maybe even this coming weekend for the TFC match. We'll kind of see how that goes. So the best way to find out when we're doing stuff is to subscribe to the channel and also to check our Twitter feed. Plus, if we can get up to a 1,000 subscribers, we can actually start to monetize the channel. Not something we've really pushed much until this year, so try to do a, a bit of a push on that right now. So any support in that regards would be very much appreciated. And we're going to end tonight's show a little bit differently from usual. Instead of just playing our usual Oh Wells theme song to round everything off, 
I'm going to end with another song from Scottish band Mogwai, our Artists of the Month for August. We've heard some great stuff from them over the past month. And as I kind of alluded to in an earlier show, they also have a couple of football-related songs. On one of their albums, they've got the song Hugh Dallas, named after the Scottish referee. But in particular, in 2006, they released a soundtrack album for the French documentary Zidane, A 21st Century Portrait. Now, if you haven't seen that documentary, first of all, I highly recommend it. Absolutely fantastic stuff. What it is, it's a 91-minute documentary that focuses solely on Zinedine Zidane. The 17 cameras focused on him during a La Liga match between Real Madrid and Villarreal in 2005. So it's kind of following him in real time, how he did in the, the match, just the playing style... It's just like focusing on him and just how he plays and what he brings to the game. It's it's an absolutely fascinating insight. And the soundtrack for the whole documentary is provided by Mogwai. They did release an album of the soundtrack. It's an 11-track album, the final track of which is a hidden track, which lasts 23 minutes. Not bringing you that one just now. The other 10 tracks, two of them are kind of reworkings of previous Mogwai songs, but the song that I'm wanting to kind of just play out in the show tonight, it's the sixth song on the album. It's called Half Time. It lasts for seven minutes. So I'm just going to bring you this lovely mellow ending to the show. If you don't want to listen to it, you can switch off now. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good week. We'll be back next weekend and mourn the caps. And for everyone else that wants to hear Mogwai, Let's just let them play out tonight with their song called Halftime.